Could you turn to Matthew chapter 6 and then I'll pray? Matthew chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us a heart to hear your voice a little bit louder. I pray for each one to take something from you home for our lives. Something from you. In Jesus' name. By the way, what amen means is not the end. It means, let it be so. Okay? But I, maybe I'll start just doing that. In Jesus' name, the end. Since that's what we're meaning. While you are in Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to try to quick sort of update you on another passage. In Genesis 20, stay in Matthew 6. In Genesis 26, we read about Isaac redigging the wells of his father Abraham. It's a really, to me, pregnant passage uh, talking about ancestral blessings, and, and there's a lot there that we could preach about, uh, which we won't today. But it starts out with Isaac redigging the wells of his father Abraham, and every time he digs a well, the local people steal the well from him. And so he has to redig another one. And it happens like three times in a row until finally he just moves away from the region. And when he moves away from the region, the first night in the new place, he has this encounter with God, this, this dramatic encounter with God, where God says to Isaac the same promises that he had said to Abraham. And then he built an altar to the Lord. And then he dug a well. And this time... It wasn't stolen. I think it's fascinating that when Isaac put his flocks and herds first, they kept getting stolen. But when Isaac sought the kingdom first, God made sure to provide what he needed for life. Amen. Are you in Matthew 6? Yes. Verse 19 Don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24. No one can, not should. This isn't a rule. This is a diagnosis of how the human heart works. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. It's almost like he's like, let me be more clear. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more 
far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. There you go, Evelina. Seek first the kingdom and live righteously. Really, it says seek his righteousness. Sorry, New Living Translation. I hate it when they try to help me out like that. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The stuff you need to live will be added. This is the word of the Lord. What a fascinating passage of scripture. He starts by saying... Don't run after stuff, run after the kingdom. And then he says, you can't have God as God and money as God. And and most of us said, but we don't have money as God, but we are worried about how to pay the bills. And he says, listen, your worry reveals, if you are living in a state of worry, that's going to need an answer. And most pagan people, let's be be nicer than pagan, most non-faith people, The way they deal with their worry is they trust in their stuff. And he says, it shouldn't be like that among us. Your anxiety and then the answer you seek to fill that anxiety reveals your God, little g, or your God, big G. I haven't broken any legs yet. But I have stumbled around up here a lot, haven't I? Fall off the stage, act like I'm not... Act like I meant to step down when I just lost my balance. All that stuff. Isn't this a fascinating passage of scripture? And totally relevant in 2016, just like it was relevant when Jesus spoke it. And it's an invitation to put God's kingdom as priority one and to trust God to work out the, the, the inevitable fears that happen in our hearts when we think but if I put God's kingdom first, if I seek him with my time, if I, if I put him first in my finance, if I actually give sacrificially, if I, give, if I seek him first thing in the morning, I won't have time for my work. If I give, I won't have enough money to pay the bills. If I give the time and the energy to, to furthering the work of his people, then my life's not going to have the, the, the space in the mar- I'm not going to be able to have the... Con- it's going to take away from my life, not add to my life. That's the crisis we find ourselves in. If I try to do it this way of actually giving God's kingdom priority and place in real world terms, then I'm going to have real world problems. And God, and, and it's Jesus is saying, you know, this actually is true. Like this book is really true. God actually can provide for you. He can take care of these things that you're like, how will that work? There's a way. And you don't get to know the answer beforehand. You get to trust and make sacrifices and take risks. And he says, trust me. And you say, I do. Or you say with your life, you don't. Are we okay? Okay. What you need in life will usually come to you, but what you want, you'll have to go after. Switching gears slightly. Anybody know who, who that quote is from? 
most of what you need in life will come to you. Not a whole lot of starving people on Delmarva. There's some homeless people, but there's not a lot of starving people on Delmarva. Most of what we need in life will come to you. But how many people on Delmarva are living a life of meaning and purpose and passion that are happy to get up every morning? The life, what you need to physically live is probably going to come to you most of the time. But the life you want, the life of meaning and purpose, that's something you are going to have to make a priority and actively and proactively seek because it's not about whether you have time, it's about whether you take time. It's not about whether you have the means, it's about whether you use what you have to pursue it. How are we tracking? There's some costly lifestyle changes that Jesus is asking us to do, and he's asking us to trust that if we do it, he will take care of some of these things we're freaked out about. Your house has a thermostat. If it didn't, it would be the temperature of the outside environment. Your heart needs a thermostat to where you choose to fight against the grain of the way the world is. The flesh that you have still, it can submit to God when it's under the direction. When you live spirit first, your flesh can line up and say, yes, sir. It can submit. Jesus didn't say the flesh is evil, the spirit is willing. He said the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. You're not, you're not Jekyll and Hyde. But without the Spirit of God, you will simply have the natural responses of humanity. And if you do not proactively seek to yield yourself to the Spirit of God, if you do, in other words, if you're not regulated by an internal therm- thermostat, your life will be just like the people who don't even have the Spirit of God. Do, are you hearing that what I'm saying is what Jesus was saying? Pagans run after all these things, but it should not be so with you. Our lives are supposed to have a Holy Spirit internal thermostat that we participate with to set the temperature of our house so that it does not reflect the temperature of the outside world. If you leave on vacation and you leave your heat off, it's going to, your house is going to be roughly the temperature of... You get the point. Salmon have this incredible drive to get back to their original point of where they were spawned. Salmon are incredible to me. They, they live their whole lives out in the ocean, and then all of a sudden, when it comes time to reproduce new life, this internal drive turns on that they can't resist. And they somehow know, don't ask me how, don't even ask a scientist, because they don't know. Somehow, these fish know how to find the original bay, the original inlet, the original river, and then from that river, the original stream, and from that stream, the original creek. And they go up Rapids, whitewater rapids, in fact, there's so many of them and they're so driven that they jump to get up the rapids. The bears are just like, yeah, baby, and just catching them out of thin air and going, that's great, throwing them over their shoulder. Not really that last part. But this internal drive that the salmon have for home, they, they know how to get home. They can't, nobody around them is giving them directions. They're, if they would flow with the current, if they would do what the other fish are doing, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be like, But there's something hardwired inside them that causes them to swim upstream, not float downstream. You always drift away from the will of God. You always drift away from the will of God. There's a big theme in Scripture. Pay closer attention to what you've heard so that you do not drift. Do not forsake the gathering together. 
the assembly of the saints, as many are wont to do, but gather more. Encourage each other all the more as you see the return of Jesus approaching. There's an against the... There's an, and we're not doing this to not be like the culture. We're not doing this because we're like, hey, the world stinks, people are dumb. We're going to do the opposite of what they're doing. Who cares what they're doing? Holiness is not looking at seeing what the world does and doing the opposite. Holiness is internalizing the attitudes of Jesus so that we look like Jesus. Loving Jesus and loving people is holiness. Developing the attitude of Christ is holiness. There's an internal guidance system. But if we neglect it, we will drift. And before long, we will have just as meaningless lives as the world, even though our doctrine says Jesus is Lord. How are we tracking? I was reading a book by a a secular psychologist, and he was talking about this growing uh, epidemic of mental health, increased depression, increased uh, despair, increased uh, this feeling that life's not even worth living, and how it's actually getting worse, not better, in the modern world. We've tackled so many health problems, so many medical problems, so many technological problems, but our mental health is worse. Why? And, and he talked about technology and, and you know, our social media. You would think that we're more connected than ever and therefore happier than ever because we're more socially engaged with each other than before. But weirdly, technology, social media, both connects us in a deeper level and separates us at the same time in a deeper level. That's odd, isn't it? I'm not against it. You guys know that I use it. I use Twitter. I use Facebook. I have an Instagram account, but I don't really use it. And... I don't even have a Snapchat account. And I can't blame it on my age because older, cooler people than me are snapping or whatever is going on there. I'm showing my age. Moving right along. But this secular psychologist that was talking about this increase in, in like mental illness, he says, I would say this as a piece of advice and a way to help society get healthier emotionally. Join a club. Join a group, even a bad one. You know? A bowling bowling club. A moose lodge. Something. I don't know. A church, even, if you don't believe, he said. Join a crappy community. If you can't find a good one. And mental health will improve. Well, that... I said, well, we qualify for that, at least. I mean, you know, I'm... Some people think Gateway's awesome. Some think it's a crappy community. But hey, at least it's better for your mental health than no community. Don't be insulted by that. Yeah, I was going to say, Bunny, you probably speak for you alone. Just like I speak for me alone. Isn't that beautiful? That God, God has... You know, if you just please Jesus, balance works itself out. I believe in balance... But if you'll just be radical, on fire, like unbalanced in your devotion, completely reckless and radical in your devotion to Jesus, you'll find that you have a balanced life. And some of these issues, like mental health, that the world's trying to figure out, Jesus is like, I already got that covered. Like, there's a cognitive behavioral theory. This is like a whole new branch of psychology. 68% effective at treating depression as opposed to the pills they give people, which is like 20, less than 20% effective, or whatever it is. My stats are probably not entirely. 68% effective as opposed to just like marginally effective for the pills they give people who are depressed. And you know what cognitive behavioral therapy is? Focusing on your belief system instead of on just how you feel. 
And I thought, yeah, uh, you know, Jesus figured this out a long time ago. It's called, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Paul talked about this as the renewal of the mind, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's advanced technology in this gospel that we don't even have to understand to benefit from. If we just keep saying yes to Jesus and following him and be radical and surrendered, he will take care of all kinds of things. If we'll just seek first the kingdom, so many things that are dominating the world we won't even have to worry about. Are you with me? Some people think, Tim... Church has taken up too much of my time. I need to be on mission. Boy, I can understand that. I can understand that. But you know, have you ever noticed that in the book of Acts, the more devoted, the more, the, like when the Spirit is moving in a special way, the more devoted they get to mission at the same time, in the same season, in the same week, they're more devoted than ever to the gathering. That somehow in real life, in our mind, You can't reach your community if you're too committed to church. In our mind, that's how it should work. But in the book of Acts, the opposite seems to occur. I don't understand it. I'm just pointing out what I'm telling. I'm just showing you what I see. They met every day, house to house, and for the apostles' teaching in public, and they broke bread, and they prayed, and they fellowshiped. And somehow, while they were radically community committed, deeply committed to each other and to gathering, somehow, at the same time, their scattering was more effective. They're gathering for community and they're scattering for mission. It was almost like they were breathing in deeper and therefore they were breathing out more deeply. But in our mind, we can't possibly reach the lost if we're spending so much time committed to church. I'm just letting you know I see it in the book and I don't know what to do with it other than to say, okay, are you with me? Was that a weird thought? I do know that if you're doing the wrong things at church, you're going to get burnt out, and then you're not going to be a very good missionary. If you're serving in the wrong roles, in the wrong areas, out of guilt, not in alignment with anointing, not in alignment with God's design for who you are, you will burn out rather quickly. Because burnout doesn't come from overwork most of the time. Most of the time it comes from broken relationships and serving in the wrong areas and having your dreams squashed. But if you're serving in the areas you're supposed to be serving in, that actually replenishes you because the human spirit recharges not like a cell phone battery that recharges best while it's on airplane mode or turned off, but rather the human spirit recharges like a car battery that recharges best when it's driving 85 miles per hour illegally down the West Virginia turnpike. (laughs) Don't believe I said that. Did I actually say that? Okay. Don't break the law. I kept thinking this morning during the singing... We have a beautiful, perfect father, and we're called to be a family. We have this amazing father, and we are called to be his family. And family treats people differently than just... Look, if, if you come into my house and you open my refrigerator, I figure out really quickly where you are in relationship to me, like whether or not you are in... <laughs> right? If, if I wake up in the morning and I walk out in my underwear and my t-shirt and there's, and there's someone who's not kin to me in the house, it better be Serge, the next door neighbor, the Haitian neighbor. It better be Serge. Because, <clears throat> because if it's anybody else, I'm going to be like, excuse me? So Serge right now is not listening to the sermon, but he's like, oh, I made it, I'm in, I'm in. 
there was a young lady named Tiffany. She stopped at my parents' house at 2 in the morning to get a drink from their refrigerator. My dad heard the rustle, woke up thinking, are we being burglarized? He came out and he's like, oh, it's just Tiffany. And went back to bed. Another friend, who I won't name, <laughs> showed up in the, like when he was invited over to the house. He walked into the kitchen, which seems totally legit, opened the refrigerator, and later my dad, I heard about it. And I said, oh, snap. She, Tiffany's in, she's family, and he's not. He's like acquaintances in the circles, not family. But I keep thinking this, like, we have a common father, and we're called to be family in the church. Family. And you know what? Family cleans up each other's messes that they, they, they didn't make, as I keep explaining to my children. Well, why? Why do I have to do this hard work? I didn't even jump the Legos. Listen to me. I'm not t- saying this to you. I'm quoting myself to them. Listen to me. You're a member of this family. And because you're a member of this family, you have responsibilities pertaining to this family. It doesn't matter if you made the mess. This is our house, and we all help each other. The end. Don't say another word unless you want consequences. You can bring this up again at 9 p.m. if you wish to say more. I'm so nice. I'm really nice. We're responsible for each other. June, would you like to share some things? Not one? Not even the thing that you shared with me about the... uh, Cane Ridge Revivals? I'll take that as a no. Think about it. But it's more special coming from you. It's funny. You guys think if the pastor shares it, it'll come with authority. The pastor thinks if you share it, it'll come with authority. It's hilarious like that. One of the things I've been wrestling with for a long time now is this issue of relationships of convenience versus covenants. In relationships of convenience, I'm here to provide something that's of value to you. You hopefully provide something that's of value to me. And as long as this relationship is mutually beneficial, we maintain the relationship. But as soon as I'm not satisfied with what you're providing me, and you're not satisfied with what I'm providing you, we cancel the relationship. That's more of a contract, isn't it? And the kingdom doesn't have any contracts. It only has covenants. So one thing that gets confusing to me, as a pastor, who believes that our baptism and our Commitment to each other as a family is a covenant, not a contract. Mm, I'm going to watch my mouth, but this is why I think when people leave, if they don't leave well, we end up feeling betrayed. Like if I'm on the ground weeping and moaning and crying in pain, and you put your arm on, on my shoulder and you pray with me and you cry with me, something in my spirit says, This is a promise. He's making a promise to me. I will be here for you, thick and thin. Guys, if I have a vision for Gateway, it's that we would be this kind of family. And I'm not trying to dishonor anyone who has left. Some have left really, really well. They've left in a way that gives me hope. They've left in a way that gives me kingdom hope. But whether they leave or stay, I want to stay committed to them because of covenant. Are you with me? Yes. I think it's helpful for us to realize that when we're talking about a business, a business usually has a product. It's a real-world product. Sometimes you can put your hands on it, touch it, pay for it, wax it, wash it, put new rims on it, that sort of thing. 
But a church doesn't really have a product that you can put your hands on. A church is less a factory that produces a product, and it's more of a family that has an emotional currency. Uh, and when the emotional state or the emotional system of the family becomes toxic and negative, sometimes people think that they can point to objective things that have happened that have caused it to go negative. But I want to point out that usually what has happened is that people have allowed themselves to become toxic, and that's the problem. Um, not suggesting that there aren't ever real-world problems, but I'm suggesting that in a church environment, the main currency is an emotional place of peace and hope. A church doesn't work like a factory. The emotion that dominates and drives most emotional systems in this world is anxiety. Jesus talks about that right here in this passage we read at the beginning. Anxiety and then solving the problem of anxiety by putting our trust in the wrong things or putting our blame on the wrong things is is the typical standard human reaction to this emotional uh, economy, so to speak. And Jesus goes after the false gods and the anxiety that causes people to serve them. We can make a switch from that if we choose to. We can make a switch both from the anxiety and the false gods we trust, we're trusting in. Trust is the emotional driver of the economy of heaven's kingdom. Trust. And trust that if we will radically pursue kingdom solutions, those things that we were originally anxious about will be taken care of. Not necessarily in the way we wanted, but at least enough to to be sufficient. Of course, Jesus does have a strange set of values. He says things like, they might kill you, but don't worry, they won't mess up your hair. Now, the hair of your head will be harmed. But if we honestly understood the, the gospel, death would lose all power to threaten us. I think if we honestly understood the gospel, disapproval of people would lose all power to threaten us. Loss of family and home would lose all power to threaten us. Loss of reputation would lose all power to threaten us. See, the capa- sometimes we think so much this circumstance has to go the way I want it or it's only appropriate to, be in, to live in despair and anxiety. And some people look at me and say, if he doesn't feel the level of discouragement that I feel, he must be out of touch with reality. Reactive people focus on what they cannot change. They feel powerless. And therefore, they spend their time mostly complaining. Reactive people focus on what they cannot change. They feel powerless. And they spend most of their time complaining. It's fascinatingly easy, and it is the air of the culture we live in. Reactive people. When I started working at Kroger's, I think I was 16... And it was like my first day on the job, and I was, I didn't grow up in an environment, I didn't grow up in a home environment where complaining against the authority structure was just like what you do to make small talk. But at Kroger's in Goshen, at that time, I hope it's changed by now, I'm sure it has, the turnover rate is so ridiculously high. Uh, (laughs) At that time, I was shocked. It was a different, it was, it, it was, the water was a different color. It smelled funny to me. You know what I mean? Wow, first day, huh? 
It stinks to work here. The managers don't care about anyone but themselves. They make bad decisions and you should quit while you're still ahead before all your hopes and dreams are dashed into the ground. Me, I just wanted to bag these groceries and then go home. (laughs) Wow, you're making life harder for me. Reactive people focus on what they can't change. They feel powerless and they spend their time complaining. It's really easy. It's really common. It's really natural. Please, please fight against this. Proactive people see the problems the same as the reactive people do. But they choose to put their focus on what they can change and on finding solutions. They refuse to admit, they refuse to accept the lie that they have no authority and no responsibility. They know better. So they spend their time thinking about what they can change and looking for solutions. Now this takes energy. This sometimes means learning new skills that you don't even yet possess. This might mean going and getting a degree. This might mean leveraging your social. This, to be a proactive person, is way more work than being a reactive person because a reactive person doesn't have to take any responsibility other than despair. But a proactive person begins to take on responsibilities and work and leverage and look for solutions and skills and ways through. The reactive person, if they were working on the roads, they would see the mountain and say, might as well quit. The proactive person says, we can either go through it or under it or around it. I guess we could go over it, but... And the next thing you know, you're driving through a tunnel saying, kids, we're in a tunnel, kids, we're in a tunnel, it's the coolest thing ever. Instead of coming up to a thing that says dead end, okay? I was, it's 2012, and I was sitting in Smith's Restaurant in Greenwood, and I was thinking, I, there, was, there was some people that I wanted to take to this revival services because I was sure that if I take them there, they'll get touched by God and their lives would be changed. And one of the young ladies didn't have the finances to go, and I didn't really have the finances to go either. And I was reading... This passage in 1 Chronicles 21 about David taking up a census, which offended God because David was trusting in him being able to connect the dots and see whether he has what it takes instead of living by faith and saying, I don't need to understand the how. God understands the how, and I know God. And so God gets mad at David and offers him this options of either you can have three years or something like that of people against you, you can have a shorter time of, of my discipline. And David says, Look, I would much prefer to fall into the hands of the living God because with the Lord there's mercy and people are kind of ruthless and heartless. And Then, while there's a plague going on, David's looking around and he finds he wants to sacrifice to the Lord. He wants to worship the Lord and and bring an offering to the Lord to stop the the plague that's happening. And this gentleman says, take my ox, just just do it, just just quick, offer him. And, And David says this, I will not offer to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Do you guys know this passage? This is 1 Chronicles 21, verse 24. I will not offer to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So he pays the full price, and then it says that as David is offering these, fire fell, verse 26, fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So I'm sitting in Smith's, and I'm, and I'm thinking... I don't really have money to, to pay for this young lady to go on this, on this weekend. I don't have money to pay for her res, res, registration or her hotel. She doesn't have money. 
And I'm sitting there and I read this passage that says, fire, the fire of the Lord falls on sacrifice. It doesn't fall on convenience. It falls on sacrifice. I'm not telling you to go into credit card debt. But I swiped my card and the Holy Spirit fell on the girl. We paid it off. Rusty and Linda are like, this is not the right protocol. It's cash only. He should have had to smash an ice block to dig that stupid credit card out of there. We paid it off. It took a while to pay it off. But I knew in that moment, the Lord was saying, Tim, how badly do you want this? What you need in life will probably come to you relatively easy. But if you, but what you want, you're going to have to go after. Some, of, some people here have said to me they're un, un, unhappy with Gateway for a variety of reasons. But what do you want? Because we can't keep doing the same thing expecting different results. I personally love Gateway now if it never changes. I still love it. I love it now. Some of you don't seem as satisfied. That's, I understand that. You know what I'm hearing? Most of you want more of? Jesus. Togetherness. Well, yeah, that too. But togetherness, watching each other's backs, being there. You know what? When we moved to Delaware, my, my family helped us move. And then we moved into our, from our rental to our resident, like the home we have a mortgage on. And they came back one year later and did it again. And, and oh man, I promise you, they weren't having any fun. You know why they were there? Did they want to be there? Was it convenient for them to be there? Are, do they ever want us to move again? They heard the rumblings at the church and thought maybe I was going to get fired. And they were like, why are we doing all this if you're just going to get fired? <laughs> okay. So why did they come? They're family. And because they're family, they do all kinds of things, not because they feel like it or want to, but because it's family and we're in this thing together. We make sacrifices. And I want to tell you guys, if we'll just seek first the kingdom, and I know, I know there's lots of reasons why we, why, you know, I'm too busy and all these other things. And sometimes it's emotional pain and stuff. Maybe when you start trying to get committed, you're going to, first thing that's going to happen is your dreamer's going to wake up and he's mad because you put him to sleep because he got wounded. I get all that. But this is the end of a cell phone contract period. You know what I'm talking about? Every three years, you get to decide whether or not you want to stay with Verizon or go to Sprint or do Republic Wireless like I do. Or... It's the end of a cell phone contract period at Gateway. And that's a good thing. Because that means if you stay, it should be because you choose to stay and you choose to commit with fresh energy, fresh agreement, fresh vision, and fresh ownership that this is my church and she's worth sacrificing for. She's worth my covenantal commitment and taking responsibility and pressing in and praying and giving and serving and addressing the issues and thinking proactively and using my faith and resisting the flesh and the complaints and going for it with all our heart because we only got one life. We have a great big gospel. There's a world to reach. I think I should stop. Let's pray. Stand up, please. I wrote a little poem. I'm going to end with this. If you consider this your church, now is a great time to begin again, to plug in again, 
to sacrifice again. Because there's a gospel. A love story. A world. And a called out people. To be the body of Jesus. Together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed.